What's up, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Bitcoin Rapid Fire. My name is John Vallis, and I've been super interested in Bitcoin for a very long time now. And I've been speaking with people in the space, I've been recording interviews, and uh, always just trying to learn more about Bitcoin, what it's about, how it works, how it's growing, what it might become, all those sorts of things. And this podcast is really just my effort at keeping up with the pace of change in Bitcoin. There's so many cool people doing so many cool things, and I really just want to speak to them all to enhance my understanding, further my education, all that kind of stuff. And so having this podcast gives me an opportunity to connect with those people and have uh, conversations with them that I, I feel I benefit from. And of course, I put it out for consumption because if I'm able to learn from these conversations, then I hope you guys are as well. The format of this show is a little bit different than interviews I've done in the past. I've usually just like to press record and have an open casual conversation with people um, and that is a part of this show but the primary portion is the rapid fire questions so this is where I take a series of about 20 questions they may evolve and change over time but I do want to keep some consistency there and just ask them to all the different guests I have on the show first reason for doing that is just some of them are the big questions around Bitcoin, like what is Bitcoin, what is money, etc. And I just thought it'd be interesting for people new to the space, trying to find out more about Bitcoin, to hear some of the experts and entrepreneurs and people building out the industry answer those big questions, just to kind of gain that insight right off the bat and help inform their own thinking about the subject. The second reason is I just thought it'd be cool to ask a bunch of different people who have been involved in Bitcoin for a long time or who are heavily involved in the industry to answer the same questions and see where they differed and, and where they overlap. So purely out of my, my own interest and intrigue at kind of the psychology of the people in the space. The second component of the show is gonna be just a free-flowing conversation. So I'm gonna publish this separately. So if you just want the rapid fire questions, you can download the, the rapid fire portion. If you wanna hear more of an open dialogue, um, then you can download that separately in the further discussion episodes. I suspect this format will evolve and change over time. To that end, if you guys have any feedback or input or anything like that, definitely let me know. Otherwise, let's get into the show. My guest today is Ben Perrin, AKA BTC Sessions. Ben has been producing Bitcoin-related educational content on his YouTube channel for about the past three years, and he's also the marketing director at Bull Bitcoin, a Canadian Bitcoin exchange. Ben also received a lot of recognition recently, both within the Bitcoin community and within the broader mainstream uh, community, and I believe even some national TV exposure in Canada for his scamming a scammer. Um, ben posted this on his Twitter account and I highly recommend you check it out because what he does is he, he shares the dialogue that he had via text message with a scammer. So someone that contacted him trying to dupe him in to sending them Bitcoin. I think it was something like five or ten Bitcoin. Ben played the fool, acted like he didn't know anything about this stuff, but that he was very interested in the returns that this scammer was promising. So he, you know, through a negotiation, he basically convinced the scammer to send him $50 in Bitcoin before he was comfortable sending, you know, however much it was, $50,000 or something of his Bitcoin to the scammer. Long story short, the scammer eventually bought it, sent Ben the $50 in Bitcoin, at which time Ben promptly revealed himself and told the scammer to stop being a piece of shit and trying to scam people. The scammer whined and complained and asked for his money back. Ben, of course, didn't give it back and instead sent it to a charity in Venezuela. So that was an incredibly awesome move. Lots of kudos from, from the Bitcoin community, obviously. And uh, yeah, it just shows the kind of guy that Ben is. A colorful character, 
a great guy and definitely an asset to the space. As this was the first episode, the rapid fire portion was about an hour long. This will get shorter in the future, still kind of finding my legs with the format. And then the further discussion portion is about 20 or 30 minutes long. So uh, that's it. I hope you enjoy. So Ben, first of all, thanks for uh, for taking the time. Yeah. Good to go? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So I guess the first one is, is one of the more common ones is that if you had to explain Bitcoin to your grandmother or an 80-year-old elderly or something like that, how would you frame it? What would you say? Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, if let's say my grandma's used to a traditional bank, I would say, well, all that a bank is doing is just keeping track of who owns what money. And you're trusting them to make sure that the record is is kept straight and they're not lying about who owns what. Well, with Bitcoin, it's just a big record that everybody has a copy of that gets updated every time anybody spends money. So it's it just kind of democratizes uh, the keeping of that record. Um, and I, I wouldn't go too, too much further than that for my grandmother <laughs> but uh yeah i mean th that's the basics of it and it's uh i guess the separation of of money and government why is uh, bitcoin important or interesting to you for me it's kind of the the disruptive nature of it 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 takes um responsibility and and kind of this control out of the hands of centralized entities like governments and central banks and it places it in the hands of people it's it's kind of this empowering tool for individuals to be able to have control of their own monetary future for the first time in well i mean in a lot of our lifetimes what is your contribution to the space and what is the most exciting aspect of the work that you do uh my goal from the beginning has been to try and break down complex topics into their lowest common denominator so that they're accessible for uh, brand new people into the space and so for me some of the most exciting moments other than meeting some of the people that I've been looking up to for years is when I see a comment or I meet somebody in person and they say, hey, what you did actually helped me understand this. And it really set me on my path of discovery for Bitcoin. How long after you first heard of Bitcoin did you start learning more and then after that purchase it? If you're willing to divulge that information. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Um, so I, I started hearing about it in 2013, kind of in the beginning of 2013. Uh, and I think I saw a few headlines and articles through the year and that got me interested. But every single time I saw the price, I thought, oh man, missed the boat on that one. It wasn't until the end of 2013 where i really started reading that's when i had that big bubble well bubble up to uh around 1200 bucks and I, so i started reading i did about three months of reading before i started to actually dabble and download a wallet and play around with 20 30 40 50 bucks here and there um just to start to learn the basics so yeah it was it was a solid three months of actually diving in and trying to understand before i ever actually touched it myself yeah and what where were you coming from you know what was the interest within you that kind of bitcoin peaked you know was it a libertarian bent was it a you know were you a gold bug like what was it initially that really kind of sparked your interest in bitcoin when you heard about it i think 
for myself and a number of people, obviously the speculation aspect of it was initially attractive. But then upon doing some reading, uh, it became more of the disruption and the the turning everything that we know on its head. It made me ask questions about what money was. And and I don't can't really explain it because it wasn't really an area that I was involved in before, but it kind of opened my eyes to things that I, I had never had interest in before. And because of that, for the first time ever, I started saving. I was a terrible saver before. And it, just those two things kind of snowballed. And I started to realize, oh, I, I was bad at saving because for me, saving never did anything. And now I'm saving in an asset that is, I guess, deflationary in nature. And I started to actually benefit from it. And it, it just kind of changed my entire worldview once I dove into Bitcoin. Yeah. Once you went down that rabbit hole. I'm actually going to jump ahead to a, another question now because I think it's it's related. But you know, a lot of people will report that being involved in Bitcoin, investing in it, being in the community somehow changes their behavior in multiple ways. Now, you just mentioned that you became more of a saver, right? And so people start developing a lower time preference and they start thinking like, well, I could buy that pack of beer or I could stack however many sats and that seems like a way better use of my funds. You know, I can go without beer, but what's that going to be worth in five years or in 10 years or whatever? Are there any other ways that like your behavior has noticeably changed since you've gotten involved other than like a career that you're obviously building, but your personal behavior has changed. Yeah, I think I, when I first got into Bitcoin, I uh, will, will say politically, I was very, very um, close mindedly left leaning, um, I'll say. And and it was mostly from a, a social standpoint. And, and in a lot of ways, I still am socially left of center but fiscally i started looking at at monetary policy and it made me open up to actually listen to some concepts from the right side of the political spectrum and i think politically it's just made me a lot more open-minded and i i take into account both sides of the political spectrum much more now than i ever did before that's that's interesting and i'd never you know, I think that's a similar process has probably happened with me as well. I would have described myself as left of center before. And then after that, you know, some libertarian elements, some Austrian elements in terms of economics and, you know, that, that whole spiel. But it's interesting that Bitcoin seems to be kind of like causing a convergence of, of, of you're kind of picking the most sensible elements of both sides and it's kind of smashing them in. And for some reason, it's happening around you know, this, this thing that Bitcoin is now, maybe it's because of the kind of governance that it inspires or like the, the, the architecture of the governance of Bitcoin. Maybe that inspires thinking about other forms of governance and the monetary policy and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's just fascinating to think, you know, everyone thinks that people are involved in Bitcoin either because they're nerds or they want to make a ton of money speculating on it. But it's just, it's so interesting, the social change that it's causing on an individual level to pe for people that start interacting with it and learning about it. Yeah, 100% agree. I, I, I think that it's it's driven a, a culture of it doesn't matter who you are, it just matters about the quality of your ideas. And some people may take that as, as offensive because people can be very dismissive of an idea that they look at and, and it doesn't 
line up with with kind of the ethos of of Bitcoin as they've grown to know it. Uh, and because of that, people can come into the space and, and feel it's very abrasive. But really, it tends to be people just saying what they think right off the bat. Yeah, I love it. Can Bitcoin be stopped? If so, what is Bitcoin's biggest vulnerability? If not, why not? Um, can it be stopped? I, I've never been more aware of the the possible problems with Bitcoin, but I've also never been more uh, confident that it won't be stopped. So you got to unpack that contrast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, when I first got involved in Bitcoin, um, I got I got the bullet points, and I thought, oh, it's unstoppable. And the more I read, the more I realized, oh, there's actually a ton of things that could go wrong here. Um, you know, I learned about what 51% attacks were. I learned about um, the fact that there's still many undiscovered and discovered bugs in, in the code base that are still being worked on. Um, I, I learned about, you know, threats from governments, things like that. But the thing is, as I learned about that, a ton of time has passed and none of those things have been successfully executed. And so I've always looked at it and said, well, the longer it's around and becomes immune to these things or the more of these things that it faces down and, uh, you know, just just brushes off, the more likely it is to succeed. So could it could it be stopped? Sure, I suppose. Um, but barring a catastrophic bug, a systematic worldwide crackdown that every single government simultaneously agrees to um the the turning off of the internet or an emp that somehow envelops the entire globe i i just don't see it happening um even even in the case of that worldwide government crackdown, it would still exist. Things still exist in spite of regulation. Uh, so really, I, I'm, I'm very, very doubtful that something other than just a, a catastrophic bug would take down Bitcoin. And even in that instance, I think there would be a, an emergency fork to fix it. It would just delay what I think will end up being a, a form of hyper Bitcoinization. Right. So I'll ask a follow up on that. And that is, you know, given that you feel that way, do you think, I think two ways about this. One is that it'll be kind of like a rolling capitulation where successively larger societal entities kind of confront with it, recognize it's something that is not, you know, is not in the legacy interests, but then very quickly after that realize, well, this is not something that we can really stop. We better get on board before and so on and so forth. And that happens all the way up to, you know, whatever the largest power structure or control structure there is. Um, or there's significant persistent resistance uh, at every step of the way, to, you know, and there's not so much capitulation as there is confrontation. Are you in, um, in one camp or the other there? Yeah, I, I don't think it will be a sudden overnight um, kind of we tear down the system kind of thing. I, I think it will be more gradual. 
than most people believe. Um, and when it does kind of take hold and becomes a mainstay, it will kind of work its way into our system and, and people that are, are younger may not even really appreciate the change that has taken place. Right. They've just always, always been this way. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think there'll obviously be some major pushback from, from central banks, but if central banks end up being replaced, then I, again, I think other institutions like existing, just regular traditional banks will just start to institute services based around Bitcoin and people will have their choice whether or whether or not to to utilize them. It'll be just a gradual change and people will just kind of go with the flow as it happens and benefit over time. And so when you say something like hyper-Bitcoinization, what in your mind does that mean or look like? So to me, that becomes uh, an instance where our entire monetary base uh, eventually starts to become sound money like Bitcoin. So Bitcoin becoming that kind of sound money base layer of value from which uh, most online value is derived from. Um, whether you're pegging certain things to the Bitcoin blockchain, uh, people start to use it in their day to day life, even if they don't realize they're using the Bitcoin blockchain in a way, it still becomes entrenched in our entire society in some way, shape or form. Um, I think that will come gradually, but I think that um, regular use as a store of value is the first step along the way. Uh, what is your comeback when people call Bitcoin a fraud, a fake, uh, otherwise dismiss it outright? Uh, well, a lot of the time I find people that just throw out terms like that are, aren't interested in even having the conversation. They just want to throw out their piece. If, if they genuinely want to engage, then I'll have the conversation and I'll say, well, things like, well, it's, it's been around for 10 years. Um, you can do a lot of things with it. I've lived on Bitcoin. Um, uh, I know many people, including myself in some instances that get paid in Bitcoin. Um, and you may just be kind of hearing some of the mainstream media scare tactics, uh, and taking those too much to heart. And I just typically, I try not to over engage people like that. I just say, well, take a look at this bit of information or take a look at this because you, you may have been misled by somebody in the media that has a, a vested interest in keeping things the way they are. So I, I try to frame it as not you're an idiot for thinking the way you are. I frame it as maybe somebody's feeding you bad information. It's worth it to take a look because somebody may have taken advantage of you. Yeah, I, th I think that's a really good approach, but I'm, I'm always fascinated. And look, we may be wrong. You know, we may be on the wrong side. Obviously, we don't yeah. feel that way, but we may be. And I'm always fascinated, you know, I try to dig in when I find those people. And like you said, if they're if it's just a total shutdown, there's no point. But if there's if there's strong resistance, but like the door is open a crack, or if they've already been you know converted, I'm interested in knowing like what what switch flipped? Like what was the thing that made you either question your existing held beliefs or what did you learn about it? that sets you off on, on thinking a different way in, in, in somehow, you know, like that, because, you know, that's the turning point. That's the really interesting yeah. part where people change their minds. 
And I think that that's likely the most difficult thing to figure out because it differs so much from person to person. And you really have to know your audience, right? If you know, if somebody's a gold bug, uh, you need to talk about it to them completely differently than somebody who's just a, a libertarian or somebody who's coming at it from somebody who's super left wing versus super right wing or somebody who likes to speculate in stocks or, or likes real estate. You have to think about what their interests are, what their pain points are, and then talk about those particular pain points. Yeah. Speaking of which, I know it's early where you are. Did you catch the pop and shift debate? I have not yet. And I'm, I'm debating in my head whether or not I even want to watch it. Oddly enough, I really like Peter Schiff on everything except Bitcoin. And, and I've just found that lately all his stuff is Bitcoin related, which I just don't agree with him on. And I think he's kind of got the blinders on because he's incentivized to think that way. But all his all his talk about the economy, even though he's he's been calling for a crash forever now, um, he will eventually be right. Um, but I, I think his concerns about the underlying infrastructure are are spot on. It's just that our institutions are very, very good at kicking the can down the road through any main, any means necessary. Well, well, this is why I ask. You know, of course, because it happened so recently. But you know, you were talking about what kind of you know road to go down with people based on what their interests are, what their kind of worldview is on investing or government or, or other things like that. And and I agree. And it's just always so funny when you find someone who's seemingly like so much on the same page. And look, I've been following Peter for probably more than 15 years and Jim Rogers. And I've, I've interviewed Jim and basically the same shtick, you know, investing commodities and gold and silver because the world is going to melt, you know, but like you said, they've been saying that for 15 plus years. Um, and I, it's so, again, I'm fascinated by like what the sticking point is because like, you know, everything else seems to suggest that you you see the problem so clearly that you think it would inspire excitement, interest, intrigue, further research on what seems to be a very viable potential solution to all the things that you're accurately, or in my opinion, accurately seeing. But like you said, there's some kind of a seems like there's some kind of a, a wall. Anyways, I'm sure you'll be you know yeah. kind of frustrated with the debate. It's more of the same. Um, uh, what do you think will be Bitcoin's biggest impact on the lives of individuals, politics, and economy prosperity? So when it comes to individuals, I think and I hope it's kind of an effect like it's, it's had on me where it spurs me into thinking for the long term and doing more saving and being more financially conscious. Because as I said before, Bitcoin I was terrible with my money, I didn't save, and I didn't even really understand what money was. So I, I hope it kind of spurs those conversations and topics between regular, everyday people that normally would never have any interest in that. I hope they become more fiscally responsible, even if they don't know why. Um, I, I hope and think that will happen in the presence of sound money. Um, when it comes to sorry, what were the other the other couple of the other one was just on uh, 
on society and governance or politics rather. And then, and then the last one was economics and prosperity, like, you know, growth. Okay. So, so politics is a tough one because in essence, Bitcoin is such a low time preference asset and it encourages those types of behaviors. Whereas say, for instance, in the U S the term limits on, on a lot of politicians very much incentivize high time preference thinking let's let's blow this money now and get some shiny things for my constituents so that i can get reelected next cycle and then i'm out before it comes to roost right yeah yeah and and that's i think that's also the issue with election cycles is a lot of the time the the implications of what was done in a previous administration don't come to fruition until the next administration or the next candidate is well into their term and uh, people don't associate that that time differential of what was done and what has happened because of it they look at what's currently happening and what is currently being done by who's in power and they associate those two things but it it tends to not the correlation is actually lagging there so yeah, I, I, that's a tough one because I, I think you'll continue to see that high time preference from politicians and it won't – it's going to mesh even less with a low time preference asset as our underlying monetary system. Uh, poor, poor decisions there will will not <laughs> go well together. Um, and then as far as just general uh, – I guess economics and 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 the way society kind of is impacted from this. That'll be an interesting one because, yeah, it's 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 kind of tough to say. But I think society is a, a, in general, it'll start to shift towards more of a a long term kind of we need to get back to individuals, but. As far as products being created, as far as businesses go, when people are building, they're going to be building for the long term because you already have a monetary base that, if it continues to be successful, will just naturally appreciate in purchasing power. And so any capital allocated outside of that, you're betting that it will grow faster than the purchasing power of the money itself. And so I think society as a whole will benefit from that because money will be allocated in in ventures that merit capital. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And just to go back to the individual impact for a second, you know, I've always been super frugal and super careful with money and stuff like that. So that element of Bitcoin didn't really and I've always been interested in investing and that kind of stuff. So it didn't really impact me that much. But as you were saying that, I was kind of thinking you know, the millennial generation gets a lot of flack, right? And some probably rightly so, and some maybe it's a little bit harsh. But, you know, one of the characteristics of that generation might be a certain amount of apathy in in many different domains. And so that may have been, or that may be a reason why, you know, so many people don't plan that much for the future, kind of spend their money on things that, you know, are wasteful or just consumables or, or what have you. And not that that's all bad, you know, like going to Burning Man or something like that is probably probably wonderful. But, you know, in day-to-day life, and it's interesting to, to consider and possibly even watch the way that maybe Bitcoin is giving a whole generation hope about the future where maybe it was insufficient or lacking previously. Where, you know, 
most millennials, maybe they weren't going to buy a home. Maybe they weren't going to have a, a pen, you know, a investment fund. They weren't going to be in the stock market. They just kind of felt they missed out. And so why not just fucking ride this bitch into the, into the sun, you know? But maybe I, I, I kind of get the sense right when you were saying that, that Bitcoin might be dragging this generation out of that way of thinking and, and providing them hope, which is amazing. Yeah, well, 100 percent. And and it again, it, it won't be an overnight thing. But even just now, like I, I think of I've got uh, I, my daughter is two now. And so she's always she's always existed in a world where Bitcoin existed. She's never she will never have known a, a, a world where she didn't have a choice of currency. And so she's she's going to grow up and what i plan on doing is is you know when she does chores or she d- gets allowance or whatever for the first little bit i'm going to divide up her allowance between dollars and bitcoin and and a, a portion of it will always go into some saving and then she can contrast and compare and decide for herself what she wants to do later on but i mean I, I think I think honestly, there's going to be an entire generation of people saying, "Okay, I've got a hundred dollars in my bank account, and then I've got a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin here," and they leave it, and they see what happens a year, two years, three years out of with their purchasing power, and they start to clue in as to what is good money and what is is inflated crap. Yeah, I got to say that's that's one of the more exciting aspects of this whole phenomenon to me, you know. New money is awesome, but just the kind of unexpected. I'm sure some really smart, you know, people thought that this sort of phenomenon would happen, but just seeing these less expected outcomes starting to pop up, it's it's cool. When, if ever, do you think the first central bank will start adding Bitcoin to their reserves? Ooh, I'm I'm curious if some haven't already, but publicly, uh. I think it'll take a few years. In fact, you know what I, I think is more likely to happen is you you get something that is either Libra or something Libra-like where you have a, I guess, independent of uh, a central bank, even though, I mean, Libra is, is coming in like a, a consortium of such. But, you know, they're, they're a basket of fiat currencies. If certain fiat currencies start underperforming, what happens when they start to sub in one of those fiat currencies for Bitcoin and that allocation gets bigger and bigger, Um, you know, or even like the SDR, although like as if they would ever, the IMF would ever sub in Bitcoin with their SDR. I I don't know. You know, I, I think it, they know it takes away the power from them, but maybe under the table, they might do it. Uh, if they see the writing on the wall, I, I'm not sure. I think it's going to take quite some time, and I think we'll see private currencies backed by Bitcoin before we see central banks uh, doing it. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, of course, nobody knows. I agree that it'll probably be covert before it's overt. But you know, the the funny thing about Bitcoin is that the game theory plays out on every level. You know, and central banks aren't. I don't. At least to my mind right now, I don't think they'll be immune to that either. You know, they'll, you know, they'll see what's happening and they'll recognize yeah. the, the importance or advantage of, of getting in before XYZ central bank. And I think that might have a powerful impact on how, how quickly things spread. 
my my hope is because Canada, uh, our central bank, uh, doesn't have any more gold. We liquidated all of our gold, um, and it was gone as of I think a year ago, which is crazy. My my hope, my hope, and I doubt this actually has been happening, but my hope is that we've been swapping some of that for Bitcoin, but uh, probably probably not. Right. Well, you know what? You know, you mentioned Canada, and you know, did you see the the um, video with Andreas Antonopoulos in front of the Senate Banking Committee in Canada? I think I think that was two thousand. 13, 15? 14, 14. 14, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, which, which, in hindsight, that seems pretty progressive of them to have him in front of them. I mean, you know, the kind of yeah. best communicator of this stuff in the space in front of them at that early stage. I mean, we're looking at, we see the U.S. now, and they're just kind of getting started on, on their hearings. So maybe, maybe behind the scenes, the Canadian government is, is progressive on this, and they're, they'll surprise us all. I really hope so. That would be, that would be super exciting for me. Maybe you'll be in front of them next. Um, what is the biggest mistake you've made with Bitcoin? Oh, um, I'm I'm very fortunate to have not been the subject of uh, anything too catastrophic. We'll say um, I've had some slip-ups, uh, and it's all been a learning process. Some of it was spending and not replenishing in the early days. Like just the other day on my show, I was talking about how. I was using something called Fold, which allowed you to convert Bitcoin to Starbucks gift cards. And then if you didn't finish with the change, you could convert it back to Bitcoin. Um, and so I used that back in the day. And I remember spending 0.15 Bitcoin on a Starbucks meal with myself and my now wife. So like 1500 <laughs> like a couple of coffees and some food. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and, it, you know, I'm sure that price point, that that number is only more likely to continue to grow and be more depressing. But uh, outside of that, things like um, just making sure that your your seed phrases and your keys are, are all um, backed up properly and hidden away. Uh, you know, imperfect security is no excuse for no security at all is kind of what right. I'm getting at. Um, even if you don't think you're perfect with everything, get started start to learn because the longer you delay the more likely it is that uh you're gonna make a, a bigger mistake down the road learn with smaller values rather than waiting until you have a lot and the other thing um i would say is always check old wallets uh and really double check that you have all your money swept off of them before you get rid of anything it's not even advisable to get rid of old seeds uh i'd say but uh yeah you you can make a mistake by tossing out a seed phrase and not realizing there's a few bucks on it, which could later be a lot of money. Right. Yeah. I think I think if it makes you feel any better, I think everybody in the space has made the mistake of spending and not replenishing. You know, you just you buy whatever when it's way cheaper and like a a tenth, two tenths of a of a bitcoin seemed re- like a, a sensible spend at the time, and now and into the future you'll look back and be like, oh, damn. Um, but we, you know, that's part of the, part of the process and part of the fun of all this stuff. How do you feel about Satoshi Nakamoto, Bitcoin's creator, being anonymous and the coins that he, she, they likely control? Uh, I think the anonymity and the disappearance was probably the best thing that could have happened for Bitcoin. Um, when you look to every other coin, even if 
the creator or the people responsible for the protocol uh, have tried to um, that that separation still is is not fully there. Like you look at Charlie Lee with Litecoin, if he sneezes, you know the the price of Litecoin can be bashed around by it. Um, and so to have these kind of figureheads front and center is just it's not ideal it's i I, it's completely counterintuitive to a a decentralized cryptocurrency to have um, a specific person or a a a foundation to look to Um, and it's one of the things that attracts me to bitcoin that essentially anybody can throw out an idea and there's nobody to even really comment on it that has much more clout than than the next guy um and it's the community that kind of coalesces on the best ideas whereas i don't know if somebody throws in an idea for ethereum and and vitalik says "Mm, i don't think that's a great idea odds are people are gonna side with vitalik um you know you saw you saw it with with the 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 fork ethereum ethereum classic um the vast majority of people go with the the leadership, even though uh, you could make an argument that something is sufficiently decentralized. It, I de- it definitely has an impact in my mind. Uh, I, I agree. I think the immaculate conception, if you will, of Bitcoin is one of its well, another one of its amazing strengths, and that it was then gifted to the world for the world and all of its users, developers, people that interact with it to define what it becomes, yeah. you know? So that's why it's always a, a bit, you know, in, in some of the more contentious dialogues around Bitcoin today, I'm always, I don't think it's that valid to always defer back to the initial white paper, yeah. you know, and, and, and course through it word for word because, you know, it's obviously it's been upgraded a tremendous amount yeah. and it's been changed here and there, but it's it's no longer... The, you know, the possession of the creator. Yeah. The creator put it out there and said, do with it, do with it what you will. Yeah. It's yours now. I'm out. It's, it's a, and it's, I, I don't think it could have started better. Yeah, it's a, it's a self-sustaining organism now. Um, and and to, to speak to the, the coins aspect of it and, and the control of that person, if they are, or group of people, if they're still alive, they have control over them. Um, while obviously somebody having control of that many coins and dumping them all at once would be a major concern, it would be also temporary because in in a proof of work system, having wealth does not necessarily mean that you are generating more wealth. You have the amount of wealth that you have. You can choose to put it into certain ventures or, or build it in certain ways if you're successful at that. But at the end of the day, if somebody holds a million Bitcoin, and wants to dump them all, sure, that will drop the price significantly. But they get that ammunition once or however long they decide to draw it out. But eventually that ammunition dwindles to nothing. So the impact on the system is very much limited. If it was proof of stake, it would be an absolute disaster because that person holding that much coin, that percentage of the system continues to generate just an asymmetric amount of the monetary base forever. And they will forever have 
the majority of of the money and and grow it from there. Uh, so that's why I think proof of work is valuable because it doesn't matter if somebody has a lot because they can only do with it what they can do with it. Agreed. What do you enjoy the least about working, interacting, engaging in this space? <laughs> uh, I will say that one of the things that I enjoy the least is also probably one of the strengths of the system is if you say something that is is off base, you will get eviscerated. <laughs> and and so I see it, you know, I work with a company called Bull Bitcoin that is very kind of Bitcoin maximalist and in your face. And so I, I'll see things on on our Twitter and I'm usually the di- guy that's got to kind of deal with it. And I'll see like I work with Francis Pouliot, who's a very outspoken Bitcoin maximalist. And he'll call some people out on something that are typically like, you know, pretty good guys in, in the in the Bitcoin space. And I'll be looking oh, like, to smooth it over like, oh, my God, what is happening? But at the same time, that's kind of Bitcoin has bred this this battleground where, like I said, the best ideas are fought for. And and I think. In the end, that's not a bad thing. What people view as as anarchy from the outside looking in is actually just a, a, a very in-your-face way of of getting things done and, and coalescing on those great ideas. And if, if it doesn't hold up, then it doesn't hold up and you move on. Um, I think that's just the nature of the system. And while it gives me some mild heart attacks from time to time, I, I honestly think that uh, the system is better for having that method of governments. It's messy as hell, but man, it works. Agree. At what price would you permanently sell over 75% of your Bitcoin? I think I know the answer. But 75%? Interesting to p- Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. No way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think... Um, I mean, I am a very long-term thinker, and and to date, I haven't really sold. Um, I've I've purchased some things via via websites like a, like a, in in Canada, we have something where you can essentially pay your bills with Bitcoin if you choose to do so. Um, and I bought like the odd thing here and there, but more or less, like I've I'm living pretty modestly. And I just sit on my Bitcoin because I think there there's a lot more to play out. And um, if if it were to get to a point where I could I could easily live for a you know and, and keep in mind I've got a family too, so I, you know I don't I don't want to give my wife a heart attack either. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but um, you know I I I would never sell seventy five percent. No way. Um, because it'll get to a point where I don't need to sell it. I can just use it if, if it pans out. And I'm okay with that loss if it doesn't pan out. But, um, you know, what I what I eventually sell maybe like 10, 20, mm, hurts me to say 30%, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, if I see like a few hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin, then then sure, I could I could take a little bit out and live for a few years and basically do whatever the hell I wanted. Um, sure, yeah, but but more or less the vast you know the vast majority of of Bitcoin, I prefer to have skin in the game 
and watch this play out. And that, you know, that way of thinking probably partially accounts for the way that Bitcoin has been growing, right? These big parabolic moves and then a drop off. And, you know, it's understandable for people to say, well, if I sell some of my position, I can buy a house or I can, you know, not work for a few years or something like that. Yeah. So I get it. But the question, the question is, is a bit of a trick question just to kind of see, you know, conviction levels and how people think this is going to play out. Because another thing that's just so awesome, unique, you know, whatever you want to call it about Bitcoin is like most people are of the opinion that it, whether or not they part with individual Bitcoins, but like you said earlier, that they always replace like it's almost like it's this thing that they don't ever want to part with, yeah. really. You know, they don't ever want to see the account balance going down yeah. in, in Satoshis or in Bitcoin or whatever you, you know, value it. In. Yeah. And, and I mean, which is funny because it's like, well, why do you hold it if you're never, ever going to sell it? It's like, I don't know, but I can't let yeah. go of this stuff. Well, you know? I, eventually, it's a point where you have no choice. Um, because you just aren't unable to get your hands on the amount of Bitcoin that you once had um, if you want to enjoy any sort of an elevated uh, amount of living or, or you, you don't want to work as much down the line. Um, when you think about a lot of these Bitcoin OGs that, that came into Bitcoin early and have big stacks of Bitcoin, none of those guys today would ever be able to buy the amount of Bitcoin they have. It's impossible. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. And I think many people will get to that point where they're sitting on uh, enough Bitcoin that they would never be able to, with their regular jobs, purchase what they have. Um, mm -hmm. You know, their 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 savings have outgrown um, their regular lifestyle. And at that point, I mean, you you utilize it and you just admit to yourself that, okay, it's grown enough and I, I start enjoying the fruits of of what was my my risk that i took right right have you ever purchased other coins if so are you likely to do so again in the future i have and i think people uh like uh, so i'm I, I am a bitcoin maximalist and especially i've i've leaned a lot more that way the past uh couple of years here but um you know i, I think everybody kind of goes through that that okay there's you know there's bitcoin and then i hear about this and that and this and that and you want to play around you dabble and and some people you know lean heavily that direction or or think that something else will replace bitcoin but um in my experience i i experimented learned and and i kind of whittled down why i was here and what qualities I think were necessary in a coin to to merit um, me being interested in it for the reasons that I got into Bitcoin. And I just those those bullet points, I, I don't see any other coin holding up to those standards. And so I've very much centered myself back around Bitcoin. And so, yeah, I, now I, I don't hold out anything other than Bitcoin. I have in the past, but even when I did in the past, I was pretty damn conservative. I think at some at my at my utmost I had my 10% of my crypto allocation was in other coins and 90% was still in Bitcoin. And I think I know the answer but are you likely to purchase other coins in the future? Uh not likely. Um I'm not saying that I would like I'm not saying that I, I wouldn't like be playing around with an app, figuring out how something works and have something in it. But 
odds are I'm mostly just I'm 99.99% of my time and and money is going to be in Bitcoin unless I just happen to need to do something quickly, but probably not. Yeah, I think there's probably several reasons, but the fallout from the ICO boom in 2017 and maybe to early 2018, I think, I mean, many people got burned and I think a lot of people coming back to old faithful now, just thinking like, okay, you know, yeah. I got greedy or I, you know, I was, I was convinced of, of this, that, and the other thing, but people are really coming back to see the strength of the fundamentals in, in Bitcoin now. And I think that's represented in the market cap dominance and just, just the general vibe of things. It seems, you know, like the, the, I'm, and I'm sure we'll, we'll, I suspect we'll always exist in kind of a multi coin world because I don't think, I think I don't know how it's going to play out, but I don't think they're all going to disappear. But I think probably the dominance of Bitcoin will continue to to increase. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at let let's step back and look at something like gold versus silver, and over over time, we've actually kind of seen the the monetary properties of silver diminish more and more versus gold over time. Um, and you know barring manipulation here and there but uh i think you'll see a similar effect with bitcoin it will gradually siphon value from other coins and it's not that they won't continue to exist or perhaps have some niche functionality that bitcoin has not yet implemented in in other layers but um as as far as a sound money that that will have the best and most often used use cases uh, I, I think that will it will be Bitcoin and then the rest that are you know kind of a a long less useful tail we'll say yeah yeah exactly that's what I suspect as well uh, what is your most controversial or contrarian view or opinion if none on Bitcoin any subject is okay contrarian it's funny because you get you get yourself into this Bitcoin space and the entire Bitcoin space is a contrarian view right, to right. the rest of the world. Um, so it depends on who I'm contrarian to. Um, when it comes to, I think some of my some of my contrarian ways would be contrarian to the way that a lot of Bitcoiners handle certain things. Um, and and I've kind of found myself dabbling in both lately, but. I think by and large, the best way to deal with um, people that doubt things or that believe the alternative, um, I, th I think it, it takes actual conversation uh, to, to make them consider your point of view. Being dismissive, while in a way serves a purpose, at the same time, I mean, Twitter is a terrible example because nothing get done on Twitter. But like in in actual person to person conversation, um if you're dismissive, then there's no point in having the conversation whatsoever, right? Um right. but if you can understand how somebody got to their line of thinking, then you can understand assuming that assuming you're right, you know, if you are right, um then you can understand what point or what bit of information led them down that path and then you can focus in on that and have a conversation on that and see if there's if there's a switch that you can flick 
to get them to see your point of view at the very least. And if you can't, and if you discover that you're wrong, then you also discover an error in your line of thinking and help yourself turn around. But uh, that conversation needs to be had to make any progress. And if you don't have that conversation and you just are going back and forth uh, trading trading blows, then what are you really doing? You're not changing your minds. You're just wasting your time. Well, I couldn't agree more. And this kind of points back to what I asked earlier about the the Schiff and Palm debate, because that kind of seems to be the, the dynamic there. And, you know, as you just mentioned, I think a good conversation is where, especially if you're, if, if it's a conversation where you're kind of picking apart something or trying to, or you have opposing views is that both people should put their belief in escrow basically for the conversation. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and then obviously have, you know, attempt as much as possible to understand the meaning of what the person is saying, the, their, their opponent is saying. And then if, you know, ideally you both come away with an enhanced understanding, but if it ends up being that there's kind of one person makes more of a rational, logical argument and kind of, for lack of a better purpose, wins, it's like that their belief should be released out of the escrow and allowed to kind of be adopted by the other person, you know, but so often, especially in Twitter, because it's just, it's so easy to be a keyboard warrior or whatever, but, um, you know, so much, it's so adversarial a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like you said before, a, a part of that is I, I like the Bitcoin community for being so, like you can't be sensitive. Like people are going to tell you you're wrong, you're wrong, and that, and that's good. But when it gets to the point where it's there's something else going on other than debating the merits of a given you know subject, then obviously that's that's not helpful to anyone. I I, I in in respect to the kind of the idea escrow thing, I I was listening to a podcast the other I believe it was on Stefan Levera, and he was talking to uh, 100 million USD, the guy on on Twitter. But they were talking about they love the idea of potentially down the road having like almost like a GitHub repository for science for science related articles where it's it's not like this study was done and it determined this and that's just going to stay there. It's more along the lines of this study was done. It's here. If you see something wrong with it, you can submit a pull request. And it's this ever, love it. ever evolving kind of line of thinking as real science is. Um, and yeah, I, so I, I really liked the idea. It may, it may not have been that. Predict. No, I, I get, you know, I, Sometimes when I kind of go down any given rabbit hole with this, all this stuff, I get so excited by some of the possibilities, you know, and something like that is there. And, and let's say a group of people on the network wanted to devote funds to that, you know, so you get this honeypot that's devoted to this particular scientific endeavor or, or research or what have you, and there's $50 million that's been devoted to it, and it's open source, and people are contributing their findings, their research, what have you, on an ongoing basis, you're like, holy shit, like that would really be a game changer. And, and there's a million of examples of that kind of stuff that I think yeah. is going to probably be a part of our future as a result of this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy because, I mean, Bitcoin in itself is kind of that, right? It's, it's, it's a scientific question of how should money work. And and right. and it's open source, and people are the, some of the greatest minds in computer science have coalesced on this idea, and uh, and we get to watch it grow in real time and see how it impacts our society. Really cool. Yeah, and people are voting in the most consequential way there is, which is with 
their limited resources, with their money. Skin, you know? skin in the game. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Do you believe there are any reliable ways at spotting a paradigm shift? If so, what are they? This kind of goes back to what we were talking about with, you know, people that don't quote unquote get it, you know, or, and even perhaps us to, to varying degrees in different, different ways. But any ways that you think a paradigm shift can be, can be spotted, any telltale signs? That's a tough one because, I mean, I, <laughs> a lot of the time it's super easy to spot it after the fact. Um, you know, it's, it's, you look back and you're like, wow, that was fast. What happened? Um, right. And I mean, and it sounds stupid, but one of the ones for me was uh, one day everybody had flip phones and then like, the next year, if you didn't have an iPhone, you were an idiot. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, what happened? That was so fast. Everybody just all of a sudden has computers in their pockets. Like that was like a year, and it was just out of fat. If you, if anybody pulled out a flip phone, you're like, yo, go back to twelve months ago. <laughs> <laughs> it was so quick. Um, and so yeah. honestly, I think it's it's really difficult to to spot because in in a way it it happens so quickly for the majority of people however i think that a lot of people right now in bitcoin we're we're very much entrenched and we see and pay attention to the news around it very very closely so for us that paradigm shift as it happens you know if if it does indeed happen um we're going to be sitting here being like, oh, my God, what took so long? Because we've been sitting around with it for years now, and it's still it's still slow to catch on. But the rest of the world, when it shifts, it'll it'll kind of be like, oh, OK, well, we're using this now. I mean, it makes total sense. And if you see somebody doing things the old way, you'll be like, what are you doing? No, this is this is how we do it now. Um, but for the rest of us, it'll be like, yes, finally. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> so I, I do think it's going to kind of mirror that that same kind of uh, it. It seems sudden for almost everybody except for the people that were deep into it. Yeah. What I always find fascinating and I, and I think, as you said, if you're in this community ecosystem or space, then you, know, you have spotted it and you're involved in it. But what I like, I, I was never I mean, I basically come to crypto Twitter like over the last couple months, yeah. you know, I've just never, it was never a thing for me. I was interested in Bitcoin, learning about it, speaking to some people about it, but the Twitter component, like I just couldn't be bothered. Yeah. And, and I, now that I'm in there, I'm like, holy shit. Like <laughs> this is, this is like a, a, a dungeon or a, oh. you know, a tower. There's just so much, I don't, dungeon has a negative, but I just mean those like, it's a little it's, bit of a dungeon. <laughs> Well, yeah, but there's so much going on. Like, there's so many people. There's so many, and and everybody is like uber passionate. Obviously, yeah. right? Everyone's like, you know, s screaming it from the mountaintop. And it all, and it just amazes me that like, if you're not in that, that doesn't even exist to you. Like to 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 most people, when they check their Twitter or in their whatever media they they consume, like even echoes from that chamber don't reach them. Yeah. And it's 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 amazing that and I mean that's a, a comment on how you know our media is both self and you know is curated by us and curated by others in society today and and how much 
how much there is going on that you could, if you're involved in one thing, you could easily be insulated from something else huge going on over here. But uh, I, I'm just like, if you're, if you're not involved, it, it doesn't exist. But when you're in it, you think it's the only damn thing there is. Like, it's, it's the whole world, right? Yeah, it's eye-opening. Like, all of us were looking at every little tidbit that happens in the mainstream media. But the, to the average viewer, it's just another blip on the news that the, the bear notice. Yeah, exactly. So when, when we see that, that kind of stuff, everybody gets excited or they, you know, like, oh, this is the big move, the, you know. The, the institutions are coming or this and that or government's finally taking notice and to anybody outside of it that you might ask, it's a, it's a non-event. It's, you know, another, another blurb in the news that they probably mostly ignore, you know? Mm -hmm. Anyways, I digress. Do you have any morning routine? If so, what is it? Morning routine? Oh, taking a page from Tim Ferriss here, are we? <laughs> well, I mean, somewhat, yes, but I've always been a crazy morning routine person. And I actually saw on Twitter you the other day, you know, talking about health and, and wellness and fitness and stuff. So what do you got? Oh, um, so for me, I, I mean, it, it varies from day to day because some days I'm taking my daughter to daycare and that, that switches things up. But um, if I focus on my, my more successful days, uh, I'll, I'll sit down, um, you know, I'll, I'll eat first. I'll, I'll take a little bit of time to just kind of relax and, and check out some news items, whatever, whatever is interesting on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Just take a quick peek at <laughs> notifications, which is a bad habit and I need to get rid of. Um, but actually when I kind of ignore that noise in the morning and I just kind of, you know, get rid of the notifications, um, I find if I have some breakfast uh, and I write out a list of things that I want to do that day and then prioritize my day as in terms of most to least important and also carve out time for thing, you know, I, I tend to separate it out for, okay, today I need to do these things for work, these things for my channel, which I consider separate from my job. Um, and these things for me specifically. And so, and I always try to make, uh, you know, time for at least one of each. And I designate if I could only do one thing for each of these little subdivisions and that's all I got done today, what would I be most satisfied in having completed? So, you know, one major work project, one thing for my channel to benefit it, and one thing just for myself for building myself, whether it be, I'm going to spend half an hour, an hour reading a book, or I'm going to, you know, get on a nice bike ride across the city and get some exercise or whatever. Um, what am I spending time on myself, on my, on my job and on my, you know, kind of personal hobby slash project of my own. And did, uh, did Twitter help you out with any health and fitness related advice the other day? You know what I'm doing now? So I've done a, a bunch of things. I tended to like uh, things like P90X in the past. I've done that, uh, those programs a few times. Um, I just got the, uh, again, from Tim Ferriss, because I've been on a Tim Ferriss kick lately. I, I got the book, The 4-Hour Body. Um, and, and it talks a lot about the most efficient uses of your time when it comes to eating and exercise and everything like that. I'm going for a body composition test on uh, tomorrow uh, to see like body fat versus lean mass and everything. And I'm going to try and for the next four weeks, I'm going to test that out, test kind of upping my eating, uh, 
very, very specific types of exercises and, and like maxing myself out to, to the point of failure and just kind of seeing what can happen. <laughs> How do you define success? How do I define success? Um, that's, that's definitely shifted for me. It used to be a, a specific fitness level, a specific um, place to live, a specific amount of money and wealth. Um, now that that has shifted um, to focus more on, I, I guess, automating certain things. So like finances, I've very much been focused on the last little bit, trying to automate everything so I don't have to think about it. And it just gradually kind of does its own work um, when it comes to uh, when it comes to my personal life though, it's, it's actually carving out time to, to do the things that I'm, I'm excited about, whether that be in work or, or just in my free time. But, you know, why does anybody work? Well, typically it's so that you have time to do the things that you want to do, or so you have the money to do the things you want to do. If you don't make time for that now, then you'll never make time for it. Uh, you'll just get caught in the, caught in that kind of rat race. And so I've been trying to focus more on, on carving out time for myself each day a little bit, and then having specific days where it's like, I'm not going to think about any work related stuff, including my own personal kind of channel work and just do what I actually want to do. You know, I'm going to read a book. I'm going to go for a book bike ride. I'm going to hang out with the family and go to the zoo uh, you know, I'm going to plan a trip. So taking, taking the things that you think you need to do in retirement and just doing them now, um, you know, in spurts whenever you can. I couldn't agree more, man. Um, where or who is your go-to place to learn more about Bitcoin? Um, hmm, good question. Uh, you know, I, I try to do a lot of reading as, as much as possible. Um, but I've been starting to read more of Nick Nick Zappo's uh, blog. Really enjoy a lot mm -hmm. of his stuff. Um, I like I like meeting people in person and having conversations uh, when possible. I got I went to Bitcoin twenty nineteen, met a lot of great people there, and that was awesome. Um, but uh, other stuff, I mean, Savedine has a, a new course online that I've been kind of looking into. Um, but honestly, I. It sounds counterintuitive, but I go on Bitcoin Twitter and I, and I see what kind of articles are being shared and I'll, I'll actually go and read those. There's a lot of other great YouTube content creators. There's just so much out there. Um, but, you know, see what other people are, are, are reading and, and make sure it's not just fluff. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good stuff on like Medium. And, and YouTube that is 100% free that you can find. Um, and, and then as far as actual interviews, I love listening to anything on Stefan Mavera. He's really good. Uh, honestly, the guys at Tales from the Crypt, TFTC, uh, Matt O'Dell and Marty Bent, they have got solid content and solid guests. Uh, and then um, uh, I actually really like what Bitcoin did uh, with um, God. What the hell is his name now? <laughs> Peter McCormick. Peter McCormick. Right? Yeah, yeah. He, I find he's got uh, a really nice approach that it lends itself to newcomers, where it's like the basic questions get asked. Okay, so that's uh, that's it for the questions. This last uh, section is just word association, right? So I'll say a word, you give me what what pops in your head. Yeah. Satoshi Nakamoto. Gone. Government. 
Gone. Hash rate. Rising. The individual. Flourishing. Oh. Security. Building. Stacking sats. Continuously. <laughs> Fiat currency. Burning. Altcoins. Burning. Pizza. Delicious. Libra. Trojan horse. G- ooh, gold. Diminished impact. And, of course, finally, Bitcoin. Solid. <laughs> well, Ben, that is the end of the not-so-rapid-fire questions <laughs> after an hour and 10 minutes of going. I seem incapable of going under an hour, but I do really appreciate it. And you are actually the first guest, the first time I've done one of these recordings. So thank you very much for uh, participating in the inaugural episode. Do you want to direct uh, people anywhere, YouTube channel, Twitter, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, you can find me uh, YouTube at BTC Sessions. There's like three and a half years of content there uh, that you can check out. I'm on Twitter at BTC Sessions, and I have a website, which is btcsessions.ca. So pretty much BTC Sessions anywhere you'll find me. Awesome. And I noticed that on your website, you also do you do workshops, individual workshops or group workshops, things like yeah. that? Is yeah. That part so of your I'm, mix? I'm, yeah. So I, I do like one-on-ones. So if somebody gets, you know, just... Typically, I try to p- send people to content I've already created. But if somebody is really like, I need somebody to hold my hand through this, or I, or I need like a one-on-one back and forth series of questions, then I do that for people if they want to book me. So, yeah. Right. And so that's btcsessions.com. Dot C-A. Dot C-A. Sorry. All right. Well, Ben, thank you very much again. Uh, wish you all the best in your, your future endeavors. I'm sure, or actually, I hope we have the chance to do a, a proper sit-down, face-to-face meeting or interview someday. 100%. But until then, I wish you well and uh, have a great day. Yeah. Thanks a lot, man. I'm glad, I'm glad I could come on. What's up, guys? I hope you enjoyed that. If you want to hear a little bit more from Ben, we did about an extra 20, 30 minutes, which you can find at the further discussion episode. That's it. Take care. Bye-bye.